Yo, what up, everybody? It is your boy, Mr. R. Oh, double D back with another episode for you. And we are about to get this thing popping for sure. I want to thank y'all for tuning in for episode number four. Episode four, four in. Uh, wish I would have got this out a little bit sooner, but you know, it is what it is. Not tripping off of any of that. Um, Got caught up in a little bit of sickness, but we all good and said and done. So I want to say happy Father's Day, happy belated Father's Day to all the fathers out there, all the soon-to-be fathers, all the fathers who are not with us right now. You're greatly appreciated. Um, your presence is definitely, definitely um, should be warranted, uh, should be appreciated. So just want to thank you all so much, and happy Father's Day once again to all the fathers out of there. Um, so just want to say that real quick, um, man, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a very, very exciting week, um, past week, past 10 days, honestly, um, the finals are over with, they're over with, and we're going to get into the finals for sure. Um, we're definitely going to talk about the finals, but the drama outside the finals, I don't care what anybody say. The funniest thing, if anybody needs a laugh. If anybody is having a bad day, it's two places you can go. Well, one place, two subject matters you can go to. Twitter, black Twitter and NBA Twitter are the most toxic place. <laughs> they are the most toxic place in the world because I promise you it, it's toxic, but it is, it is hilarious. I don't care what nobody say. NBA Twitter, black Twitter are two of the funniest places to be. Uh, <laughs> So if you don't know by now, so after they won and Clay did his post-game interview, after, you know, party Clay, I'm glad we got party Clay back, hen dog Clay. <laughs> but um, after they won and Clay did uh, his post-presser, and of course, just having a memory of just people dissing you, People talking, talking trash, you know, the young, young and up and coming team. Uh, he was talking about Jaron Jackson strength in numbers tweet after they beat them on March the 23rd. I think that was when the tweet was, was posted. And he was just saying like, you can't do all that talking and not be at the final dance. And of course you lost to him in the semifinal. And he was just saying, <laughs> Clay pretty much was just saying, um, he just called him a freaking bomb for the simple fact of saying that. I don't think he was talking about his his talent. I think Jaron Jackson is a talent. He needs to figure out how to stay on the court without fouling, though, honestly. But that's neither here or there. But for the simple fact that, you know, it was just funny for the simple fact. Clay called him a bum. So John Morant had the butt in and pretty much was talking about living rent-free in their head. And I don't see what Ja was talking about for the simple fact. Like, Ja is wild for this one. Just starting, just like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm really summarizing the whole entire Twitter thread, but you definitely can go see it for yourself because I believe it's still up. <laughs> and he, he was just saying they, he's, they're living rent free in the Golden State Warriors head. And, and I really believe that if, I really believe they believe that they should have beat the Golden State Warriors. Now, I don't, I don't think they were going to, honestly, 
because one, you had to go through Golden State. You had to go through, you had to go through San Fran, player, and that's a hard place to beat them at. So, yeah, that was just funny in itself. Um, and I was talking about like the funniest tweet, and I'm, I'm gonna move on to the next subject at hand. The funniest tweet was simply, uh, Christmas Day, the Christmas Day tweet, where he was saying, um, how, yeah, this definitely needs to be Christmas Day game. They definitely need to come to the M. And Draymond did it all that. Yo, we're not coming to the M. Y'all coming to us <laughs> for the simple fact we're the defending champs. We don't go to you. You come to us. You the one talking about you want to smoke. <laughs> and I'm summarizing everything. You want to smoke. How you going to say you want to smoke and then want to duck, duck uh, Chase Center? So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting, that's going to be a fun place, a fun uh, little uh, series when they play each other. That's going to be fun to watch. But uh, I still got Golden State beating them, period. Uh, I believe they're too young and a little bit too arrogant, honestly. So they definitely need to humble themselves um, before it's too late. But also in other news, we want to talk about Kent Bazemore. I know that man is sick right now because he turned down a one-year deal. No, a multiple-year deal. I'm sorry. He turned down a multiple-year deal with the Golden State Warriors to pretty much be a vet, um, to teach the young guys how to be pros, to take a one-year deal with the Lakers this year, quote-unquote championship team. Uh and I don't know what the, the salary is. I'm going to have to look that up and bring that up next episode. But uh, he took a one-year deal. And, of course, we know how the Lakers season went. That went <laughs> to hell. <laughs> and the simple fact, he could have been a champion right now if he just would have took the deal. And who knows? He probably would have played valuable minutes throughout the playoffs. Just someone who can um, add more depth, add a little bit of shooting, and add more defensive prowess. So I know he's sick right now. I'll be. So upset if I was Kent Bazemore. He betted on himself and he lost. <laughs> it's just that simple. He lost his hand. He he went all in on a hand and ended up losing. So yeah, that's that that sucks. And also, let's <laughs> yo, this is hilarious just to think about it right now. And looking at it in my notes, it's even more funny. But a simple fact, you remember when the finals were first set? I guess I bet y'all won't, without looking at your phone, without looking at your phone, do you know the, the percentage chance they gave Golden State to win the finals when it first, when the finals was first set, when every when both teams were set? Do you remember the percentage? Come on, I'll give you three seconds. Don't look at your phone. Don't cheat. Okay. Gave you three seconds. Have you figured it out yet? It was 14%. They gave Boston an 86, 86% chance to win the NBA Finals. A first-time team with no, with nobody with real Finals experience. Nobody on that team has Finals experience. Except for M.A. Dudoka as a coach when he coached for the Spurs. That's the only one who has Finals experience. And even he wasn't ready for the stage from a head coaching standpoint which is all good. I believe they're going to definitely, definitely um, make ways. And I would, I do believe they need to keep this core intact. I believe they need to make a few little changes here and there, which I'll go over later on in the episode. 
to really be uh, uh, a head runner uh, in the in the finals to really deserve that 86 percent chance. That's wild to me still. But um, I do believe they need that to to really go to the next level. And uh, we definitely going to talk about some of the things that they need to to look into and some of the things that Jalen and Jalen um, and Jason needs to work on going into this offseason. Um, but, yeah, we're going to go over that later on in this video, later on in this podcast, and we're definitely going to talk about it. But let's finish out the last bit of NBA news, NBA discussion. So I'm sure everybody heard what's going on with Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we all understand that the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie are at a impasse for the simple fact that I believe they want to give Kyrie incentives. I believe they don't mind giving Kyrie a long-term contract, but it has to come with incentives for the simple fact that Kyrie is the most unreliable superstar in the NBA. And I've said it, Kyrie is the most unreliable superstar because you never know when he's going to play, period. Kyrie, as great as he is, as talented as Kyrie is, Kyrie is the most unreliable because you never know how Kyrie's going to feel. Kyrie is a, a very emotional-driven person, in my honest opinion. I don't know Kyrie personally, but Kyrie seems to make a lot of decisions off of emotions. He makes a lot of decisions off the simple fact that when he does and do not want to do things and every, every person got that right. But the simple fact, when you have a job to do, when you sign a contract, you have to show up to work. It's just that simple. I don't care if you make millions. I don't care if you make minimum wage. When you are signed up to do a job, you have to do your job unless you are eerily incapable of doing your job. It's just that simple. You understand me? You feel me? So the simple fact that Kyrie did not show up this season, the fact that Kyrie, and I don't knock it. Hey, he stood on he stood on his ten toes about not getting vaccinated. I'm not knocking him for that. I'm knocking him for all the other stuff. As far as I don't feel like coming to practice or I don't feel like playing games <laughs> because of what happened January sixth. I don't feel like playing games and I'm not going to inform my head coach about playing games, uh, about missing games because I just don't want to, but I'm definitely going to go to my, my sister's birthday party and be on the camera with it. So I believe Kyrie has to, he has to be more strategic. I believe he has to be more reliable. I don't, I don't knock the, the Brooklyn Nets for not giving him a contract. I don't knock the Brooklyn Nets for, simply saying, hey, if we're going to give you a deal, if you want your money, all of it's not guaranteed. And Kyrie, let's get let's not get this thing twisted. Kyrie is a very skilled and talented player, but the simple fact Kyrie is not reliable. So if Kyrie's not going to be reliable, he cannot expect to have guaranteed money. It's just that simple. You're not going to invest in you're not going to make an investment. This is just one on one investment. You're not going to make an investment on anything that you can possibly lose big money on. It's just that simple. It's called risk management. So what the Brooklyn Nets are practicing right now is risk management. So I don't I don't care what anybody say. Kyrie Irving does deserve incentives in his contract. He does not deserve a guaranteed contract until he proves that he can be a guaranteed a guaranteed reliable guy. Period. 
And that's what I that's all I have to say about Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. That's where I'm gonna finish with the NBA news today in my introduction. And let's get to the finals. And the first topic of discussion, I definitely want to discuss the Boston Celtics. I'm not going to bash them and tell them what they did, everything wrong. Of course, I'm definitely going to get on what they did wrong. But the number one thing that um, I'm going to do, I'm definitely going to give them uh, pros and cons. Let's say that. I'm going to do pros and cons. Starting off first with the pros before we go into the cons, because there are a lot of cons when it comes to game six and how they need to approach next season in general, especially you've seen the youth, you've seen the inexperience, you've seen the lack of urgency when it came to them, when it comes to must-win situations, and you've really seen the signs all throughout the playoffs. And uh, because of injuries to Chris Middleton, which they could load up on Giannis, um, because of injuries to Jimmy Butler, but he didn't. he clearly had no significant help. Um, outside of just himself, because Bam did not show up at all that whole entire series. I don't care what nobody say. He had one good game, but one good game don't define a great player in the playoffs. You have to have a multiple input of games to be a, considered a great player. It's just that simple. I don't care what nobody say. So they they I ain't gonna say they had an easy road, but they definitely had the luck of the draw. They definitely had the coin flip their way to to end up in the finals, honestly. So, but let's talk about Boston. Let's give some pros and cons. The one thing that I love the most that they started off the game posting up Steph Curry early. So anybody know Steph Curry is the greatest shooter ever. It's the greatest shooter ever. I was talking to someone today, um, and we we're just talking. He's an older male, um, wise guy, very very wise guy, very smart guy. And, you know, he's of age. He, he pretty much, I've been watching basketball for 30, 40 years. Steph Curry is clearly the best shooter I've ever seen. That's what he said with his own mouth. So I believe it when you've seen generations and when you've seen eras of basketball. So when you've seen eras of basketball, I'm pretty sure he, he knows what he's talking about. And I'm pretty sure he knows what he's looking at when he's talking about the best ever to do it. So the one thing I like the most is they try posting up Steph Curry early. Because everybody know when you post up a player, you 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 make them work on defense. You 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 ride them a little bit. You put your your chest into you put your shoulder into their chest. You try to take their legs out early, in the sense of you want to just keep laying on them. You want to keep banging on them. You want to just accumulate. It want to be accumulation of physical play, making them work on defense for the simple fact. When you make shooters work on the defensive end, they don't have as much pop lift on the offensive end as much, uh, especially later parts of the game. For the simple fact, they had to wrestle, fight, and bang with with you the whole entire time. So I like the fact that they tried to do that with Marcus Smart. Um, but Golden State made the adjustment. They weren't just going to let Steph Curry get posted. So they made the adjustment, and Boston honestly got away from it. And I believe they should have stayed with it, try to figure it out. Um, honestly, I believe they should have figured out how to get more switches where Tatum could get the post up on Curry because then he can shoot over him. He can make plays out of that. Um, he's more um, acceptable to passing out of the double team because he's 6'8", and he can see over the defense. And I keep saying Jason Tatum 6'8", but 
<laughs> from my understanding, he's six nine, six ten. So I believe they should have did that. I like the I like the idea. They should have tweaked the execution a little bit, in my opinion. Um, but you know, I, they couldn't go wrong with that if they would have stayed with it. And one thing that they did, they did come out with a sense of urgency in the beginning. Um, they definitely came out with intensity. They came out with excitement, the crowd backing behind them. And they definitely, definitely, um, gave Golden State a haymaker to start to start the game off. Uh, I think the score was 12-2 to start off the game. They hit Golden State early but they didn't do it often. Um, they slowly kind of fade away. They slowly went into just your turn, my turn, and you cannot do that at the highest level against one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, um, all of the NBA. So they figured that out real, real quick. And the one thing that I wish they would have done more, and now we're getting more into the cons of what Boston did. The one thing I wish they would have did more was – they should have used Robert Williams more as a vertical threat for the simple fact that Robert Williams could have been that vertical threat. So when they drive, uh, Marcus Smart drive, when Jalen Brown drives, when Jason Tatum drives, when um, Derek White, or even when Al Horford got um, some, some dribble drive opportunities, that they used that vertical uh, threat in, in uh, Robert Williams. Robert Williams definitely could have stretch the defense where they had to play all five guys. They did it a few times in game one when everyone touched the ball, but I believe if they would have utilized the athleticism, the verticality, the the springiness of Robert Williams, the game would have went a different way. The game plan would have been different. Um, they wouldn't have helped as hard or stunned as hard um, coming off of Robert Williams. So when they did use Robert Williams as a vertical threat, they were very effective. But I believe they have to figure out how to get Robert Williams more involved as far as from a vertical threat on these pick and rolls, on these drives and dump offs. For the simple fact now, everyone has to stay attached to their man. And now you get easy opportunities because they don't want to give up the lob. So you get easy layups. You get more uncontested layups for the simple fact now you're a threat to hit the vertical threat if that make any sense to you. But with that also being said, Boston lack of just IQ, IQ plays, their lack of just exploiting mismatches, their lack of just stagnant offense where they just got real stagnant throughout this game where it was just like, it felt like one person held the ball or one person was just dribbling the ball or they were just swinging around back and forth playing hot potato for like 16 seconds of the 24-second shot clock. And then when it winds down, then they go into an ISO the last eight seconds. So it's just they really have to figure out how to get more movement off the, uh, off the ball. One of their best plays of the game was in the third quarter where they set a flex cut. They set a flex cut and a pin down and a screen and roll all in one time, and they got a wide-open layup. So. It was it was beautiful. So, you know, they had a flex cut coming off the weak side, then went to a screen roll into a pin down, and Jason it was Jason Tatum who got the layup. Uh, it was um, mid third quarter, really towards the early parts of the third quarter, because that was one of the best plays. But they need more actions like that to get the defense more engaged, so they can't just hone in and look have ten eyes on you. Really, um, 
really uh 16 eyes because you got the refs looking at you too um so you you want to get more engagement where it causes more communication breakdowns where it causes people to make decision on whether to switch to hedge to fight over and now you can find easy opportunities now they did that game one they did that game one they ain't do it as much game three they did it enough in game three they did it enough um but in game one was their best performance for the simple fact everybody touched the ball and they really played like they didn't care who scored. They didn't care who, who shot it. They played like, let's get the best available shot and let's see what comes, what comes out of it. So that's how they played in game, game one. I believe game one was the best version of themselves and game six is absolutely the worst version of themselves at the worst time in the highest stage. Um, so Boston definitely, it, they did great. Let's not, let's, I'm not taking nothing away from them for the season, but at the biggest stage, you expect to show up. Um, so definitely, definitely, um, have some things to work on. Um, definitely have some things to improve on. And I believe that they're definitely, um, they're on the up and up. I'm not going to take nothing away from them. Um, they're a young team. I believe they do need to keep this core together. Um, and I keep saying, everything that I want to go over in the last part of the video. Um, but I just can't emphasize that enough for the simple fact that they definitely um, should keep this core together. But enough about Boston. Let's talk about these Golden State, these 2021-2022 champions that, you know, I don't want to brag or nothing, but I definitely predicted the Warriors will win in six games. I ain't want to say nothing, but I'm just letting you know, <laughs> letting it be known <laughs> real quick. So let's talk about how the unsung heroes definitely of the NBA finals. Let's give Andrew Wiggins, let's give Andrew Wiggins, let's give um, Kayvon Looney their flowers now. They played excellent. They played great. They played inspired. And, um, I believe Andrew Wiggins finally wiped that tag of a bust off his record. Now people can't look at him and say, hey, that's the bust Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins shown that he's valuable. He's shown that, honestly, what comes with, um, how can I put this? I want to put this the right way. He showed what comes with over-exaggerated over expectations. Um, and I think we put that a lot on a lot of young guys. We don't allow them to develop anymore. We want, we want microwave results. We want hot pockets. We don't want well cooked meals no more. We want fast food. We don't want nothing, you know, we don't want no slow cooker. We don't want no, you know, grandma's cooking anymore. We just want to go to uh, Wendy's. We want to go to Starbucks. We want to go to Subway and Jersey Mike's, but. Some of the best things, some of the best food you'll ever eat is the food that, of course, is slow cooked, food that takes time, that's made with love, that's made with care. And I'm saying this and making this comparison for the simple fact, when you talk about Andrew Wiggins, when he was with Minnesota, I think Draymond said it one time in his in his podcast or someone's podcast how a bad organization can make a uh, player look bad. It can it can set a player's career on the wrong path, and it can create 
a stigma of that player that follows them for the rest of their career, possibly. And I believe Golden State show what happens when you take care of a player and show them love, show them compassion. And I'm saying this for the simple fact of comparing this to, to food. Anybody knows, anybody knows anybody, especially, you know, in the South, like we're big on soul food. We're big on cooking our meals, uh, especially when it comes to gathering. For the simple fact, I'm saying this for the simple fact that Andrew Wiggins started off with a fast food organization in Minnesota. And he went to a home cooked meal out in Golden State Warriors. And everybody know you'll rather have the home cooked meal than the fast food restaurant. Now, Minnesota is definitely on the up and up. They definitely turning their season in the right way, um, turning their organization in the right way. But when Andrew Wiggins was there, he was touted to be the number one guy. And sometimes you cannot be the number one guy. Andrew Wiggins does everything well, everything well, besides score 25 on a consistent basis. That's the only thing he does not do extremely well or extremely natural. He can get you 16, 18 on a consistent basis, but you can't get 16, 18 and be that franchise guy because your expectation is higher. You're supposed to carry the team. You're supposed to lift the team to uh, a new aspect. You're supposed to lift the team to wins on your own. And he couldn't do that in Minnesota. And they also had bad player development when he was, when he was there. So Andrew Wiggins definitely went to the Golden State Warriors. Um, and they definitely developed him. They definitely showed him that winning is an everyday thing. And I think players don't understand that enough that winning is an everyday thing. Can't do it sometimes. You can't do it. Uh, when you feel like it, you got to do it every single day. That's what's winning is, period. And I don't, I don't I, hey, you want to win, you got to do it every day. It's just that simple. You got to do it every single day. It ain't no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You got to do it every single day. So that's the main thing I want to say about that. So um, Looney is definitely going to get a bag this summer. Um, he's definitely deserving of it. He's shown that he's valuable as a switching big. He can rebound well. He can run the floor pretty well. He can finish um, these dumps off, the dump offs. Um, he's a cleanup utility guy, all utility guy. And he's three, four rings in. He's three rings in. I'm sorry. He's three rings in. Um, so he's definitely, he's definitely going to get paid. If not from Golden State, he's definitely getting paid from somebody. And he's deserving of it. That's that's one thing for sure. He's definitely deserving of it. Um, not knocking him on that. So he definitely deserves the bag. Um, but he was definitely him and Wiggins was definitely an unsung hero of the Boston Celtics. I mean, I said other Boston Celtics, other Golden State Warriors. I apologize. Um, but now that we got it, went over the unsung heroes. Let's go over just how Golden State just broke the spirits of the Boston Celtics and honestly they, they killed them in game three. Um the third quarter. I'm sorry, the third quarter I'm thinking about other things. But they killed them in the third quarter. And when that happened, when that happened, I seen how the Boston Celtics literally they you know, their shoulders wasn't as broad, they went up, but they went from like here to damn. It's like I'm I'm real big on body language. So I look at certain players and I can tell when when 
All it takes is just that one more, one more run, that one more punch in the mouth, and he's going to quit. They're going to quit. Um, I can, I know that for sure. Anybody, anybody that's a, that's a alpha, that's a predator on the court, you know, when you, when you get that, that sense, you know, when the team is on the verge of just quitting, tapping out, giving up. And all you got to do is just make that one run and ball. I keep saying Boston, but the Golden State Warriors made a few runs. One, I want to talk about one to run to end the first quarter. They went on an 11-0 run to end the first. And then to start the second quarter, they forced four straight turnovers. They went on another 10-0 run. So that totals to a 21-0 to run. And that's when you can just feel the, like, you can feel them slowly just. The air was going out the building slowly. And you can just see how the Celtics were just pressing. They were trying to play hero ball. Everybody wanted to, to make the shot to turn the momentum instead of just, okay, we got ourselves in this situation by playing lackluster deep, lackluster deep, not getting back, causing law, live ball turnovers. Anybody know live ball turnovers are the worst for the simple fact. Now you're giving the most dangerous team in the dangerous man on the court, a live turnover. So your defense is not going to be set. Most of your guys are not are going to be under the basketball or behind the basketball, as you as I like to say. They're going to be behind the basketball, on top of the basketball. That makes any sense, not under. You're under, you're, you're definitely in front of it. But they're on top of the basketball, meaning that they're, they're all below the three-point line, most of them. So you get a lot about turnover. Most guys shoot on the turnover. You got the athletes and Andrew Wiggins. You got the shooters and Clay Thompson and Steph. You got Draymond, who's just a pace pusher um, and an assist guy, someone who seek to look for those guys, especially the three-point shooters and Clay and Steph. That's dangerous, and they cause four of them. Um, I know Andrew Wiggins got out and got a couple easy ones, um, and it was just they crushed their spirit from there. And the bad part, I knew it was bad when Draymond, Draymond Green was hitting shots. They even said it on the telecast where he hit his first three and he missed his first 12. He missed his first 12 three-pointers and then ended up hitting three three-pointers this game, um, which was great for him. Um, like I said earlier, um, people was talking about his podcast. You know, he shouldn't be doing podcasts. Look, look, Draymond is a grown-ass man. That man, I'm pretty sure it was people who did other things during the finals. Most people was tripping by the podcast, podcast. And this is the reason why I say I wasn't tripping by the podcast. For the simple reason of this, Draymond Green, Draymond Green is not necessarily a pivotal score of a team. He's more of an emotional leader, a pace setter. He's not looked upon to, to carry the load from a scoring standpoint. He's looked upon to set the tone offensively to set the tone defensively so his offensive responsibilities is not as heavy as Steph Curry now if Curry was doing it eh, okay cool whatever me personally I'm not tripping over that is can you get the job done that's simple like I don't care what you do the night before I don't care what you do the day day after at the end of the day can you get the job done if you can't get the job done now we can talk about making adjustments so Draymond Green, even though he was playing bad, like it, he was playing bad from a scoring standpoint. 
in all honesty, and it's just my opinion. He was playing bad from a scoring standpoint. He made the adjustment defensively, which he did first, and after that, the scoring happened, which happened in game six. So I'm not tripping over that. I'm not tripping over him doing that podcast. He came out. He did what he was supposed to do in game six. He showed up at the most important game because I believe if it would have won game seven, Celtics would have had a high probability of winning that game because now you're leaving it up in the air, and the rest was already letting you decide the game. So Draymond Green was hitting shots, and it was it was lovely, man. It, it really was. Um, I was happy for him because – I believe people were just over-exaggerating or overreacting to him doing podcasts after the game. Like, let that man live. Like, everybody got their own thing that they love to do, and it seems like Draymond loves to do podcasts because he loves to talk, <laughs> and I do too. So, so you can't knock people who who has who have other passions outside of basketball. It's one thing about me. Like, everybody's not LeBron. Everybody's not going to go zero dark thirty all that stuff. Everybody's not Jordan. Everybody's not Kobe. Um, but the one thing I did notice that Draymond at the end of the day, he got the job done. So what y'all got to complain about now? Um, so yeah, as the great words of, of what Draymond said, fuck him. <laughs> so, and then last but not least, let's go over the main thing. We, we went over all this and we haven't talked about Curry, which Curry played great. He played excellent. He's the finals MVP, well-deserved, overdue. Um, But the one thing that I noticed the most about this game is Golden State ran their offense to a tee and they hunted the mismatch where Steph Curry was guarded by Al Horford and Robert Williams a lot. He was getting to the basket at will. It wasn't – now, he was hitting threes, but it wasn't his three ball. It was him breaking down the defense, finishing at the basket. And I think people forget how elite of a finisher that Steph Curry is. Elite of a ball handler Steph Curry is. But the simple fact, everybody is overzealous, over just slobbing at the mouth of his shooting ability, which they should. Best shooter to ever cross this game. But people forget how great of a ball handler he is, how great of a finisher he is. Like, Steph Curry and how great of a team defender he is because he did not allow them to exploit the mismatch. He fought Marcus Smart off the post after they, they saw what he was doing. And then on top of that, they made the adjustment. As soon as they threw it in to him posting up, the double came immediately. Draymond had a couple of deflections where they got steals and turnovers and was out to the races. So when that happened, they got away from it. And that's one of the things that I want to go over in this next segment with the Boston Celtics. Um, so congratulations once again to the Golden State Warriors, the 2022 NBA champions, and congratulations to Steph Curry, the 2022 finals MVP. Well-deserved, well-compensated, overdue. So, yeah, for sure. But this last thing I want to go over for sure, the last to end this podcast, I'm going to try and do it in the next 10 minutes, not be so long-winded, get straight to the point, straight to the facts. As I like to say, straight to the facts. Um, I want to go over what Boston needs to really, really do, um, what they need to look for this upcoming offseason. I believe the offense definitely needs to be changed. I ain't going to say changed. Let's say tweaked. 
it needs to be tweaked where it's more off ball movement and not so much ISO heavy focus with Jalen Brown and, and Justin Tatum when the offense break down. They need to have other options outside of them because Jalen and Jason can get their buckets anytime. Now they got to figure out how to play one under control, Jalen and Jason, because they were doing a lot of things like jumping off one leg to make a pass in the air when it wasn't there. That's how a lot of the turnovers happen. Um, I believe, like, like honestly, like that's the number one rule when you was taught as a kid, never jump in the air to make a pass. And Jalen and Jason did that a lot. Their decision-making when they drove into the paint. When you draw two, one is open. It's just that simple. I believe they held on to the ball two, two beats too long. Um, they should have given it up immediately. They definitely got to figure out how to how to better decision-making. And with that, they need a cerebral high IQ point guard. As great as Marcus Smart is, the defensive player of the year, he is not your championship point guard, in my honest-to-God opinion, but a simple fact. He's more suited as a two guard. Honestly, he 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 can guard one, two, three, and most fours. Honestly, in the league, he's strong. He's quick, laterally quick. He can knock down open threes when he has time and he's in rhythm. Um, but I believe they need uh, definitely a cerebral point guard. I can't think of nobody right now. Honestly, I mean, honestly, the first person to come to mind is Mike Malcolm Brogdon. Um, he's definitely a uh, a high IQ player. He's not going to turn the ball over. He's going to make shots. Um, I've seen him work out, me personally, so I know for a fact this guy can make shots. <laughs> high IQ player. So um, definitely, I, if I was them, I'd go after him. Um, uh, shoot, even in bringing in a Rondo or somebody like that, like you, you need a high IQ player to slow the game down and always check the temperature of the game. Because you can tell when Boston was kind of erratic, they didn't have a coach on the floor to calm the game down, to calm them down and get them into a set where they can get a good shot, good open shot in rhythm. It's sometimes it's not about the make or miss. Sometimes it's about getting a good open in rhythm shot or getting to the basket, getting fouled to calm, to slow the bleeding. To 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 put to put ice on the wound instead of just letting it bleed out. To so put ice on the wound to to tighten the wound so you won't bleed out. That's what happened to Boston. Too many times where they were bleeding out after Golden State made a run, and it ended up killing them. Another thing they need to add is more depth. Um, the only two people they had coming off the bench was Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard and uh, Derek White practically, and it was more like. Derek White, Grant Williams, and his minutes were shortened. Um, so I believe they definitely need to add, like, uh, some solid off-the-bench scoring, someone who's a certified bucket um, that can come into the game and not um, the scoring will not be lagging or anything like that. Um, they definitely need to get a certified bucket getter, like a Will Barton, um, a Karis LeVert. I don't know if they can trade or get him, but figure out a way to get somebody who's uh, get some more depth, definitely get some more shooters, some more three and D guys, um, so they can space the floor for Jalen and Jason to get to the basket at will. Um, they're great drivers to the basket, but like I said, they need to play more under control and be able to make decisions on the run like that. 
Um, so definitely. Um, with that being said, I only have two questions for the Golden State Warriors. And I'll probably come up with these with a later podcast, um, center this around the podcast. Um, I want to ask y'all this question, and I'm going to tell you my answer. Um, ask y'all these two questions. Is Steph Curry a top 10 player of all time? Um, I just wanted to ask y'all that, like, for real. Just answer that for me um, in the comments, um, on the Instagram. But I want y'all to answer, is Steph Curry a top 10 player of all time? And another question is, is Steve Kerr a top five coach of all time? Because you look at both their resumes, Steph Curry and Steve Kerr, as a player and as a coach, their resume, it can hang with the best of them. So Steve Kerr got nine rings as um, total, five as a player, four as a coach. Uh, Steph Curry got four, four finals now, a finals MVP two-time NBA season MVP. So, honestly, man, all honesty, their resume stacks um, stacks up against the best. And I just wanted to ask y'all that question for the simple fact, man, I believe Steph Curry is top 10. If, if I know they um, we had this discussion earlier um, in the gym, and they asked who I would take out. I would take out Will, put Steph Curry in there. That's just my honest opinion. That's my objective opinion. And with Kerr, this is the thing that's crazy to me. Kerr uh, is pretty much is on that same echelon as a, from a, an accomplished standpoint, as a Greg Popovich. Um, as a, uh, I believe he, he's definitely more accomplished than Doc Rivers. Um, but, man, let's, let's be honest, honest, man, like, Steve Kerr is a top five coach of all time. I'll come up with my list. Probably I'll probably make a list and do a top ten player of all time, update a top five coaches of all time. I'll probably put that all in one episode or one show, saying that the season is over and we definitely uh want to create something to talk about. So yeah, that's just my opinion. I want to thank y'all so much for tuning in to this episode. Um if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much. If you're listening to it on any other podcast platform or Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, just want to thank y'all for tuning in and listening. I appreciate y'all so much. Um, yeah, I'm definitely about to push these podcasts out more. And as Draymond Dream say, y'all going to get this podcast. <laughs> y'all definitely going to get this podcast. So I just want to thank y'all so much for tuning in. I thank y'all. I love y'all. And I will see y'all in the next episode. I'll see y'all in episode five. Peace. Oh, before I even leave, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Because podcasts, even though I'm posting podcasts, I will be posting workouts, workout videos soon. And I definitely will have a dribbling course coming out soon. So stay tuned to that. This summer is definitely lit. And it's about to be a hot boy summer. <laughs> but show. But like I said, again, I thank y'all so much, and I will see y'all in the next video. Peace.